What's up and welcome into another edition of the DNVR Rams podcast. I'm Justin Michael. We're going to have some fun on this one. We're going to dive into conference realignment, the latest reports and rumors. We're going to talk about some week one spreads in the Mountain West. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give a couple of thoughts on the series finale of Ted Lasso. Don't worry, I will make it very clear when that is coming up. I don't want to give any spoilers to those who have not had an opportunity yet to watch it. But if you haven't, hurry up and catch up because avoiding them is going to be increasingly difficult on the internet. And it was really good, so I think you're missing out. Anyways. Like I said, we're going to dive into the latest conference realignment rumors, talk about how it could impact the Mountain West. There is an important deadline regarding San Diego State and their potential departure of the league, so we'll get into that. I will talk about CU and the increasing smoke with them going to the Big 12. What could that mean for CSU? We'll get into all of it. Obviously, these are segments that we have explored a little bit in the past and we'll continue to talk about as we get more and more information. But I do think that a potential return to the Big 12 for CU is on the table. And I also think that it could potentially benefit CSU, especially if uh, two of the four corner schools were to go to the Big 12, for instance, but not all of them. So we'll explore all of that. But we are going to start with these week one spreads, starting with the Rams against Washington State. CSU 16-point underdogs at home in that week one matchup to the Cougars. My initial reaction was that it feels a little bit high. I'm certainly not shocked that it's double digits, especially with Cam Ward returning to Washington State, really dynamic dual threat quarterback. He played really well against CSU in the matchup last year, had a really great season in general, I felt like. But even so, getting close to three scores at home, it feels a little bit dramatic. Washington State lost a couple of key guys on the defensive side. CSU we're assuming is going to be a lot more uh, competent on the offensive end. So you would think they're going to be able to put up more points. Granted, I'm not an expert and there's a reason that the house always wins. I would have put this spread at closer to maybe 12-ish points or even like 14, which is what Wyoming is getting at home against Texas Tech in week one. That game ended up getting the, the CBS draw. But yeah, I was just a little surprised to see the number that high. If CSU doesn't cover the 16, I think that would be disappointing. Not necessarily the end of the world. You can have a slow start and then get rolling. But if they were to just get their teeth kicked in in that week one matchup, that would not exactly be confidence-inspiring with the showdown coming up after that and then a trip to Middle Tennessee, a team that you know pretty much handled CSU pretty easily last year. They struggled to cover Torrey Horton, I guess, but that game was never in question. So I guess we'll just have to see. I'm not shocked that CSU is not getting a ton of love, a ton of respect from Vegas early on. They certainly did not perform well in the non-conference slate last year. I believe it was an average of 40 to 10 over those four weeks, the the defeats that CSU suffered. But the Rams are going to have an opportunity to really drastically change their perception in these first couple of weeks. You've got three games on network television good chance they're going to be dogs in all three if not at least two out of three and it's it's a chance to shock the world really the mountain west as a whole has an opportunity to get off to a good start and and really make a strong impression on a national basis with those zero week games in week one just looking at at some of these games here you've got a ton of premier matchups against big 12 schools pac 12 schools a couple of sec matchups 
a Big Ten even, if the Mountain West can win some of these games, if at the very least they can even compete and just show well, it's going to do wonders for the the respect and just the general opinions on the Mountain West for the whole season. It kind of gets set in those first couple of weeks, whether that's fair or not. But that's just kind of how it works. If the Rams get rolled in those first couple of games, for the most part, people are going to tune out on a national level. Find a way to win, it's a completely different story. Just as far as some other spreads that are relevant in the Mountain West go, a week one, I said Wyoming hosting Texas Tech, Wyoming 14-point dogs in that one. That feels that feels winnable. Might might consider flirting with the money line on that one. Uh, Boise State, 14.5-point underdogs at Washington. That's a tough draw against Michael Penix and uh, Coach Kalen DeBoer, who obviously knows Boise State pretty well after his time at Fresno State. But that's definitely a game where if the Broncos can find a way to win, it's going to turn some heads. Washington getting some uh, CFB playoff love even from some projections that I've seen. I'm really looking forward to that matchup. I'm looking forward to seeing how Boise State fares offensively. What does Taylon Green look like in year two? He was phenomenal as a freshman last year. Can he keep it up, though? And then defensively, what does that unit look like after losing Scott Matlock in the trenches and JL Skinner in the back end and some of these people that have you know, been really productive members now for two, three years in a row? Another team that will be really interesting to see this year, Fresno State. They're going to Purdue week one. They're six and a half point underdogs. It seems like the thought is that Fresno should still be pretty decent this year. Even without Jay Kaner, they lost a lot of production at wide receiver in the backfield as well. But they did add Mikey Keene, the UCF transfer. I'm assuming he's who will end up being their week one starter. But I don't think I've seen anything official regarding that. Um, Hawaii, they play in week zero and week one in week zero. They go to Vanderbilt, 18 and a half point underdogs. Could be worth flirting with. I mean, Vandy was actually kind of tough last year. Uh, in week one, though, they host Stanford, and they are 10-point underdogs at home. I really like that, especially with Stanford having a first-year coach in Troy Taylor, former Sac State coach. I actually got to spend quite a bit of time with him since I was on the TV broadcast for that game last year. But he's a guy that I think is brilliant. I think that was a tremendous hire by Stanford. I just think that's a program that talent-wise has been pretty down now for a couple of years. And going to Hawaii, especially that early in the season, is really challenging. That's a program that was frisky. They were really great against the spread last year. I think those players have bought into what Timmy Chang is selling. And so while I do think that Stanford will find success under Troy Taylor, I do think that was a great hire. I would certainly have the Cardinal on on upset alert with that week one trip to the island. San Diego State week one, they are hosting Ohio five and a half point favorites. But that's a pretty boring matchup, especially compared to some of these other games. So I'm not really going to spend much time on that. Uh, San Jose State, they play at USC in week zero, 29 and a half point underdogs. And then they host Oregon State week one. They're 16 and a half point underdogs. That feels high too. I really like Oregon State and I think they've been pretty frisky these last couple of years. I think they're going to be really interesting this year. But I do think that San Jose State is a well-coached program. I think that with Chevin Cordero coming back, they're, they should be pretty competent offensively. Like I think they're going to be a team that puts up points. The big question is, how's the defense after losing so many of those dudes in the front seven? I was a little surprised to see that spread, though. 
New Mexico, they go to Texas A&M week one. They're 37 and a half point underdogs. I have no idea what to expect with that Lobos team. They did add uh, the UAB transfer quarterback, drawing a blank on his name right now. But going into the year, it certainly feels like Danny Gonzalez, their coach, is firmly on the hot seat. He's got to be on his last leg after not really establishing any type of success. Rocky Long left for Syracuse. That's that's a tough draw or a tough break. Wouldn't shock me if UNM had a new coach next year, but I'll certainly be rooting for them to cover against Texas A&M and the least likable staff in America. Uh, finally, we've got Utah State, 20.5-point underdogs in their trip to Iowa Week 1. So a lot of double-digit spreads out there, but a lot of really intriguing games for the Mountain West, and I do think it's an opportunity to make a statement early on in the year hopefully a positive one, but it's going to be here before we know it. I am desperate for football season. I know all of you guys are too, but we're going to shift our attention to the latest with conference realignment, the latest reporting, rumors, etc. Real quick, when you get hurt, Backus and Shanker is here to help. Backus and Shanker wins for Colorado families. They've been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. No fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Backus and Shankers won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations, serving all of Colorado with neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Backus and Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault, car accidents, motorcycle, rideshare, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Backus and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Backus and Shanker wins. Also, professional rugby has returned to Rugby Town USA as your hometown American Raptors have begun their six-match homestand against the South American rugby teams that make up the brand new Super Rugby America's competition. Tickets are just $10 at Infinity Park. Children 12 and under are free. And if you can't make it, you can watch all the American Raptors matches live on ESPN+. If you're looking to learn more about the Raptors or just the sport of rugby, a great way to do so is with the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Follow our guy Colton Strickler at Colton Strickler and at DNVR underscore rugby to keep up with the latest news. You can learn rugby with Colton's 101 podcast. He has exclusive interviews with athletes and coaches. He provides betting advice on the Super Rugby's and more. It's awesome. So one last time, make sure you check it out at DNVR underscore rugby, the DNVR rugby podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, it'll be there. Finally, it's a bit of a rainy weekend, actually, but it's perfect to just sit back on the couch with an ice cold Breck brew in hand. You know that we love Breckenridge Brewery over at DNVR, and it's because Breck Brew has a beer for any occasion. They've been making beer for 32 years, and it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. It's made with 100% renewable energy, which you've got to love, and you've also just got to love that endless variety. Again, they really do have a beer for any occasion, whether it's Avalanche Amber Ale, a true classic, whether it's the hard seltzers that they have, the Good Company seltzer line, it is awesome. Or maybe you're kicking back with a vanilla Porter Jr. as you watch the Nuggets in the finals. Whatever you're into, Breck has a beer for you. Check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com to find a brew near you. Cool, cool, cool. Let's get into it. Let's talk about conference realignment, the smoke with CU in the Big 12, the upcoming deadline for San Diego State to keep an eye on, uh, all of it. 
Starting with the buffs, um, on June 1st, it was reported by Max Olson of The Athletic that there is more and more interest with CU going to the Big 12. In fact, according to that report, CU is who the Big 12 has had the most productive and most consistent conversations with regarding the, the possibility of that move. And at this point, it seems like if the Pac-12 does not get the desired media contract that the, they were promised, the potential of CU leaving is very realistic. The whole process has been a disaster from the start for the Pac-12. I mean, it was reported that they wanted to get their media rights deal done like last September. That obviously didn't happen. It drug on throughout the season. It's continued to be a distraction this spring. And the interesting wrinkle to keep an eye on when it comes to this whole situation is the impending deadline with San Diego State. San Diego State has until June 30th to notify the Mountain West if they intend to leave for the 2024-2025 school year. If they do it by then, their projected exit fee will be roughly $17 million. If they were to miss that deadline, according to Mark Ziegler of the San Diego Union-Tribune, it doubles. It'd be roughly $34 million, which they can't afford. There's a really tight deadline to make all of this work. And if they miss it, I just wonder what happens. Does it become pure chaos? Do CU and Arizona just decide to dip? What about the relationship with San Diego State in the Pac-12? What happens there? Does San Diego State question the future of the Pac-12 at that point and start looking more towards the Big 12 if that's still on the table? Are you just kind of sitting there with a handshake agreement that you'll come over in 2025, 2026? Everything just feels really up in the air when it comes to the stability of this conference. The entire future of the Pac-12 just feels very shaky right now. Like to me, at least from the outside looking in, it seems like we're one domino from falling from just total chaos, like a total chain reaction. But if that happens, I do wonder if it could potentially benefit CSU. And this is something we've explored on this podcast in the past, so I don't want to be way too repetitive here. But again, the longer this drags on, I do think the more likely somebody like CU in Arizona leaving for the Big 12 becomes. And if that happens, if those two were to go, you know, you're going to have to find some replacement members. You can still bring in San Diego State at that point. SMU seems to be a popular expansion candidate. Who else are you going to bring in, though? Do you bring in CSU as a travel partner with Utah if Utah sticks around? I mean, shoot, there's already a natural history there. They tried to shoehorn CU and Utah into a rivalry, and it never worked out. There was just no no history there. There's no angst, no animosity. They don't necessarily like each other all that much, but it's not a rivalry. I mean, there hasn't been one moment between the Utes and Buffs that comes even close to the 2005 goal line stand. Not even close. Wyoming has way more of an established history with Utah than CU does. So many Mountain West programs do. But if they were to lose CU and maybe Arizona, but Utah and Arizona State, who, based off the recent reporting, seem a little bit more committed to the idea of sticking around, maybe you explore the possibility of just replacing them with CSU. The Pac-12 would get the Denver market again, which is why they added CU in the first place. Geographically, it makes sense in terms of the league and having a travel partner for Utah, those two-game basketball road trips instead of 
Salt Lake City and Boulder. It just becomes Salt Lake City and Fort Collins. Culturally, I feel like CSU, Fort Collins, Colorado as a state make a lot of sense with the Pac-12. And then obviously academics would be the final selling point. Schools like SMU, Tulane, CSU, they're on par with the academic standards that the Pac-12 currently has, while also giving the league potential access to desirable markets, Texas, New Orleans, Denver. Because of that, I would think that they would be the top three, at least outside of San Diego State, who in this scenario would also be going in as well. It's far from a guarantee, obviously. This is a whole lot of projection and hypothetical scenarios, but it does feel more realistic than it did even a year ago. And even if there is an argument that the Pac-12 is not even close to the conference it used to be, which I think is a fair one, you know, with no USC, no UCLA, it doesn't have the same type of prestige. And I personally feel like that Oregon and Washington have one foot out the door already. But even so, I'd rather gamble on being associated with the Washington states, Oregon states, and Stanford's of the world for the next 10 to 15 years than the Nevada's and San Jose states and New Mexico's of the world. And even if it wasn't necessarily as respected as the Pac-12 of old, my guess, at least, would be if you had a conference with Washington State and Utah and Oregon State, you add SMU, San Diego State, CSU, Tulane, with the other schools that stick around, Arizona State, I'm not going to name them all, but you get the point. That scenario, to me at least, feels better for the long-term stability of CSU athletics than being in the Mountain West as is, watching all of these other leagues make all these bold changes. Again, it's not necessarily perfect. It wouldn't have been like getting invited to the Big 12 in 2014 or something like that. But we're kind of getting to the point where beggars can't be choosers and the focus just needs to be not getting left behind in whatever landscape of college football, whatever it ends up looking like, you know, in the next 15, 20 years. I personally would hate the thought of CSU and Wyoming not being in the same conference. That's always been my biggest gripe at any of these realignment scenarios. If you abandon too much of the history, the rivalries, the passion, what makes us love college football in the first place, and it's all just in pursuit of a dollar sign, then this game is basically just a crappier version of the NFL, and you'd be able to watch a higher quality of play with the NFL. But at the same time, while I would hate that, while I would hate to see the history potentially go off the table, you know, you can't afford to get left behind. You just can't. And they really, CSU as an institution, kind of botched the last decade. Finally invested in the facilities, just did absolutely nothing to capitalize on it. And as each year goes by without an invite, more change happens with CSU. Without CSU being in that conversation, it just becomes more and more dire. Anyways, it's going to be really fascinating to see how all of this plays out with CU and the Big 12. I, I did see in the report that Deion Sanders could be a reason why they ultimately make the jump to the Big 12, which to me would be asinine to bet on your future based on the coach, especially given the likelihood of him being there in five years feels very slim. But I also thought that CU should have never left the Big 12 in the first place. Same with Nebraska. And ultimately them going back is probably CSU's best chance of getting into the Pac-12, so I guess I should full-on be rooting for it. Anyways, that's kind of where we're at right now. So like I said, we'll kind of see what happens. I'll continue to talk about it as more info comes out. 
We're going to wrap up here with some thoughts on the Ted Lasso series finale. So spoiler alert warning, you know, exit now if you don't want to hear any of that. Uh, but real quick, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all either. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every single pair is backed by lost and broken replacements. So if you lose or break your pair, even day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. You can shop their entire collection at their brand new location in the Park Meadows Mall, a full-stop shop for all things Shady Rays. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. Again, no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays giving out the best deal of the summer. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use the code DNVR for 50% off. Two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. All right. So I figured we could have just a little bit of fun with this last segment here. Talk about the Ted Lasso series finale. It was a big week for TV. We got the Barry finale, the Secession finale, and the Ted Lasso finale all within 48 hours, I believe. I am not a Secession guy. Uh, don't cancel me for it. I understand why it's popular. I think the acting is great. I think the writing is even good. But I tried to watch it multiple times, and I just don't enjoy the concept because I think the characters, although portrayed brilliantly, are just so unlikable. Like, I think it's the first show that I ever watched multiple episodes and could not find a single characteristic of any of the characters to like or embrace. I just hated them all. And again, that that's a testament to the acting abilities of those of those people in the cast. Like, they do a great job of playing these spoiled rich brats, but it just didn't resonate with me. It wasn't enjoyable. And that doesn't mean that it's not great. It's just not, it's just not for me. And the reason that I love Ted Lasso is that it was essentially the exact opposite. Every character was so lovable. And it was a TV show that I could just tune on and feel good about for 30 to 60 minutes. It came at a time when we all desperately needed it in 2020. I mean, we were all just searching for anything to feel good about. But even beyond the pandemic, which I do think probably helped boost its popularity initially, I just wish that there was more feel-good TV like this. I just wish we had more shows like this, where the storylines are about redemption and people finding themselves and self-betterment, improvement. It was every bit as inspiring as it was entertaining, and I think that's that's just incredible that it was able to do that, that it was able to provide social commentary, have all these dynamic storylines develop these characters who are all very distinct, and have them go through these journeys that we were all able to connect with and, and watch, but without the feeling of like we were being lectured or preached at. I think shows that try to accomplish this can get too preachy at times. But for me, Ted Lasso was just brilliant from start to finish. It was one of the most enjoyable TV shows that I've ever consumed. And I was really satisfied with the way that everything was tied together. I do think they could have gone on for a couple of more seasons and still had a really good show, still been really entertaining. But I respect going out on top. 
I respect having three seasons of great television and not trying to milk it for every nickel and dime that they could. I think some spinoff possibilities are there, whether it's following Roy Kent. I would love to see more about Trent Krim. And I'd be very down for a Sam Abasanya or a Jamie Tart spinoff as well. But I think they did a good job of tying up the storylines as is. I really like that Rebecca kept the team because it was no longer about spiting Rupert. At that point, it was about her own family, her own relationships with these people, and what the club represented in the community. That's what makes sports so special. Her just cashing in and selling 100% of the team, although realistic, would not have been on par with the feel-good storylines or the the storylines of personal growth and her just finding herself and everything that goes along with that. I think her staying an active member of the community and her valuing what that team means in the community, that's much cooler. That's much cooler than her just cashing in. Ted always had to go home. I mean, the storyline always needed to come full circle, especially with his storyline with his dad. I don't think, you know, Ted could just abandon his kid. But he needed to find himself. He needed to go out and, you know, get away after his divorce. And he comes back a much better person. I just, I love the way everything was summed up. I wish there was more TV that just ended with people feeling good. Not everything has to be so meta or, you know, really deep, making everybody push their perceived boundaries. Like sometimes I just want to turn the TV on and smile. And for the last four years, three seasons, Ted Lasso did exactly that for me. I will watch it a hundred more times and I will enjoy it every single time. Just an absolutely brilliant show. But that's all I've got for this one. So we're going to wrap it up again. Hope everybody is enjoying their weekend, staying dry out there. Much love y'all. Peace. Probably never make it when you listen to